0: Thank you. Welcome back to Revive School. This is lesson 47. I'm Pastor Tom Schiefer from Northern Indiana. We're gonna look at Jeremiah 48 and 49 today. And let me tell you, there is so much here that we're really going to really dig into these prophecies against the nations. But we're not going to get there just yet. I want to do, so you know where we're going today, I want to do a bit of an overview and hit on a couple of things. And then we're going to dig in as we have time and come to the restoration at the end of chapter 49. Kevin, would you put up the uh, the map of the Neo-Babylonian Empire? Because a lot of what we're doing today is based over the number of the nations. But as I was even preparing, I had this sense that sometimes we've got to take a moment just to understand who is who, and who's playing with whom, and what's happening. We talk a lot about Damascus. Damascus was earlier on. We don't really hit too much with it today. But again, Damascus was the capital of the Syrians. Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrians. We'll talk about Nineveh. You, you, you get into Nineveh, we will, when we get to Jonah, when we get to Nahum. It was destroyed by the Babylonians in 612 B.C. So before uh, what we were seeing yesterday, as Kyle taught on the Battle of Carchemish, which we'll get to as well. Babylon down here, the capital city, of course, of the Babylonian Empire. It all ties in together together. Um, and sometimes you will see them referred to in Scripture. It's Babylon. We refer to them as the Babylonians. They're also the Chaldeans. That's the people group that's surrounded around Babylon. And then Susa is a city over here in Elam, which we're going to get to in, in a, at the end of our time today. But Susa is the capital of the Medo-Persian Empire. King Cyrus, everything we've learned about Cyrus in Isaiah and in Jeremiah and everything that is to come, here's the capital city. This is also the city that houses Queen Esther and everything that happened in her time. So much later, uh, obviously, but that's all part of Elam, which becomes part of what Jeremiah is going to decree and go for uh, in the midst of it. So we're into the oracles of judgment. On the nations. Yesterday Kyle hit on Egypt and and we kind of skipped over the judgment on the Philistines, but there is so much here today. Um I came across a commentator that made a statement about Jeremiah's oracles. And what the commentator said was, Jeremiah's oracles may be ancient, but they are not archaic. They are for us today. We need to understand these same things and the same truths of God Um, all of the prophets are coming along and as Jeremiah makes his prophecies for for the nations understand this understand all the way through that Yahweh is a holy God for all nations Yahweh is the holy God for all nations. That's the undergirding. He's going to bring comfort to Judah. We saw some of that yesterday. He's going to bring comfort for Israel. He is going to bring comfort for all nations as well. And we're going to see that today. This is the undergirding that we have to have for both chapter 48 and 49 and as we get into 50 and 51 with Babylon. Uh, another description that I've heard about these prophets that I just really appreciated from Gordon Fee was the description that the prophets were covenant enforcement mediators. They wanted to make sure this holy God and the covenant and every word that he had to share is going to be enforced. It's going to be held true. So we're going to go through a number of different countries today. And he's going to start just to give you the outline of where we're headed. First, we begin with Moab. Moab gets chapter 48, basically all of chapter 48. And so there's the prophecy and the word on Moab. Moab trusts in themselves. But they're going to be destroyed by Babylon. And then we're going to see at the very end of 48, there is a restoration. Secondly, the next country is Ammon. Into chapter 49, verses 1 to 6, much shorter oracle on them. Ammon goes up. They take the whole region of Gad for themselves. But they're going to become a heap because they reached beyond their own natural borders and what they were taking, and they took land for the people of God. But they're also going to be restored. Then we have Edom. And we're going to take a look at Edom as much as we can. And that's also in chapter 49, picking up at verse 7, all the way to 22. Edom, their wisdom's going to depart and they're going to get picked like grapes. No word of restoration. Damascus comes in. That's part of why we needed to look at Damascus today. Because even though they're um, they're off the playing board, per se, they still have... A role to play, and there is a word from God for them. It's not always very good. In fact, their palaces are going to become desolate. Not destroyed, just desolated. Then there's this is going to be a fun little word that we're going to take a look to Kedar and Hasor. Different than the rest of them. Generally, they don't come up on the radar. And we're going to see why, because there are a lot of nomads and unwalled cities, but there is something important enough that God wants to make sure that word is also given to them, and all their camels and all their possessions are going to be plundered. And then we wrap up today with Elam. In, verse, in chapter 49, verses 34 to 39, and we're going to see how this comes to play, you're going to see an element where they're going to be enduring four destructive winds, but a word of restoration that we need to hang on to with our whole word of covenant. Now, I have to ask myself, as I look at these countries, as I see them on the map, where's Christ in these chapters? I, I started out my study and, and, and reading through and, and wrestling through where is Christ? Because that's our goal with Revive School, is to find Christ in all of the Word of God. And in these chapters, where is Christ? Well, we've got to be intentional. And that's why I want you to see the big picture here for all of these verses, because we're not going to be able to do them all, but for you to read into them. And, and I encourage you to break them down as much as you can in your study. As you go reading through all of these verses, it just starts to... Uh, churn and, and, and blur. Stop and pause and understand what's the context for each of these judgments because there's a word from God who's a holy God for all nations, for each and every one of us in all times. And then there's some specifics in the midst of this that I think we're going to be able to hit on, but this revelation at the end of these two chapters of the presence of God. So let's begin with Moab. Moab gets all of these verses. Uh, verse 1, about Moab, this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says. When the prophets speak, this is direct download from God. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand this, and I've been wrestling with this uh, even in, in our own ministry. The Old Testament prophets got direct downloads from God. If they were false prophets, they were killed. "'But true prophets spoke with a direct download from God, "'and it was held with the equal authority as of Scripture "'because it wasn't written down beforehand. "'It was as they spoke it, and this is the word of the Lord.'" So when he says to Moab, "'This is what the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the angel armies, "'the God of Israel says, "'Woe to Nebo, because it is about to be destroyed. "'Kiriathim will be put to shame. "'It will be taken captive.'" The fortress will be put to shame and dismayed. Moab has its origins with Lot. Remember Lot? Oh, boy. Moab gets its name from the grandson of Lot, who came through the incest with his eldest daughter in Genesis 19. This is not an auspicious beginning. The relations with Moab were sometimes good and sometimes were bad. Uh, Balak, the king of Moab, hired Balaam. Remember Balaam and his donkey? To curse Israel. He wanted them cursed. Uh, when Israel came into Canaan, into the Promised Land, sometimes Moab attacked them and ruled over them. But out of Moab, who comes out of Moab, Kevin? Ruth. Ruth. Into the line of David, the great-grandmother of King David, comes from Moab. So there's a really uh, good thing. And in fact, David sends his parents into Moab for their protection when Saul hunted David. Fascinating dynamics going on here. Uh, David, as king, sometimes fought and defeated Moab. Uh, They became a vassal to Israel, but sometimes they would rebel. God has got a lot of issues with Moab. Uh, We see this in Jeremiah here, of course. But also remember Jeremiah 27, Moab comes up. We've already seen that. We saw that Moab was part of the focus of Isaiah in chapters 15 and 16. And in fact, Jeremiah here sounds a lot like Isaiah, and it's 140 years later. Ezekiel's going to have some words for Moab. Amos is going to have some words for Moab. Zephaniah is going to have some words for Moab. Um, Here's the... Immediate and also the long term aspect here about uh, uh, Moab. Isaiah's prophecy is going to get fulfilled when Shalmaneser, king of Assyria at the time, conquers Moab. But Jeremiah's prophecy is fully fulfilled, more fulfilled. That was Isaiah's prophecy. Jeremiah's prophecy fulfilled when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, conquers Moab. That event took five years after the destruction of Jerusalem. So 23 years after the prophecy was delivered by Jeremiah. So here's that short-term accountability, giving credibility to the, uh, to the prophet. And the message is really lengthy compared to the size of the country. It's not very big. Um, most of the cities, there's, there's a lot of urgent warnings given to cities. And most of the cities that are mentioned here, as you go through this chapter had been assigned by Moses to the Reubenites. These were the cities of Reuben. You look, Lulith, uh, weeping uh the descent of Horonaim, and cries of distress over their destruction. It just goes on and on. Verse 4, you get to this element here of where Moab will be shattered, her little ones will cry out. So even small children are impacted. And then there's this word of alarm. Verse 6, let's jump there. Verses 6 to 8. Flee, save your lives, be like a juniper bush in the wilderness. Because you trust in your works and your treasures, you will be captured also. Listen to that. Because you trust in your works and your treasures, look how much I have, look how much I can do, you will be captured. Chemosh will go into exile with his priests and officials and the destroyer will remove against every town. Not one town will escape, the valley will perish, and the plain will be annihilated, just as the Lord said. Now, I want you to understand something from verse 7. Moab, he talks about Chemosh. This is the god of Moab. Three times in this chapter, Chemosh is going to be talked about. Multiple times, Chemosh is identified in Old Testament books. Solomon Solomon introduced Chemosh to Jerusalem to please his wife. He brings this foreign god and places it on the Mount of Olives to be worshipped in 1 Kings 11. The king of Moab actually sacrifices his son to Chemosh. That element of sacrificing of children was an important part of this worship. So we see it here. Well, you know what? In verse 13, Moab's going to be put to shame because of Chemosh. In verse 46, woe to you, Moab, the people of Chemosh have perished because your sons have been taken captive and your daughters have gone into captivity. God consistently punishes sin, and that's the big message in Jeremiah today, because he is a holy God for all the nations. He's going to take care of all of that sin, and that's going to come across. But you know what? Look at verse uh, 32 for a second. In verse 32, I will weep for you, vine of Sibma, with more than the weeping for Jazzer. Your tendrils have extended to the sea. They have reached the sea into Jazzer. The destroyer has fallen on your summer fruit and grape harvest. And he goes on, joy and celebration are taken from the fertile field and from the land of Moab. I have stopped the flow of wine from the wine presses. No one will tread with shouts of joy. The shouting is not a shout of joy. There is a, a, a grieving that goes on, and it goes on all the way through. But he gets very serious halfway through about verse 26. We're going to go back up to 26 so you can see this seriousness here. Make him drunk, because he exalted himself against the Lord. Moab will wallow in his own vomit, and he will also become a laughingstock. Wasn't Israel a laughingstock to you? Was he ever found among thieves? For whenever you speak of him, you shake your head. Jeremiah points out that they laughed at Israel, but everything that happened to Israel is going to happen to them. And he's going to be swooped in and destroyed. Verses uh, 40 on to 46 all talk about that destruction. We don't have time to get to it today, but there is hope. Notice the hope, verse 47. Yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the last days. This is the Lord's declaration. The judgment on Moab ends here. There's hope. He goes on to Ammon, six verses. Ammon also traces its origin to Lot. Again, another grandson or son of Lot, born to him by his youngest daughter in that incest aspect. The Ammonites lived on the east side. They're not on our map here, but here on this east side. Today, modern day, Jordan. In fact, because Ammon was the people group and the capital and how it was identified, the capital of Jordan today is Ammon. It highlights that this was the area of the people of Ammon. Ammon engaged in a lot of war in the days of Judges with, with Israel. We don't have time to get involved in that, but boy, they, they were all in the midst of it. They were playing both sides against the middle. They played both sides with Babylon, and that leads to their destruction. Verse 49, uh, chapter 49, verse 1. This, about the Ammonites, this is what the Lord says Does Israel have two sons? Is he without an heir? Why then has Milcom disposed Gad and his people settled in their cities? Milcon. Uh, look. Let's go on to verse 2 for a second. Yeah, and then we'll come back to Milcon. This is, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when I will make the shout of battle heard against Rabbah of the Ammonites. It will become a desolate mound and its villages will be burned down. Israel will dispossess their dispossessors, says the Lord. Here we got Milcom, which is their national deity. Again, child um, sacrifice is involved there. And notice Ammon came in and took over the land that had been designated to Gad. So the dispossessors are going to be dispossessed. God's going to come in and restore. But there's also restoration for Ammon. Let's go to verse 6. But after that, I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites. This is the Lord's declaration. Totally important. He goes on to Edom, verses 7 to 22. This, to Edom, down here in the bottom, it is particularly strident, particularly forceful in its imagery. Um, They tried to do all sorts of things to Israel. And actually, when Nebuchadnezzar comes in to totally destroy Israel and Jerusalem, Edom joins in on Nebuchadnezzar's side and actually takes part of the plunder. Um, let's go to verse 12. Uh, and we'll look at 12 and uh, 13, just to give you a sense of this word. For this is what the Lord says. If those who do not deserve to drink the cup must drink it, can you possibly remain unpunished? You will not remain unpunished, for you must drink it too. For by myself I have sworn... This is the Lord's declaration. Basra, that's the capital of Edom. Basra will become a desolation, a disgrace, a ruin, and a curse. And all of her cities will become ruined forever. There is treachery. And in that treachery, the imagery here even comes into the realm in Edom where it's compared to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the total destruction... And Jeremiah ties that in. But he also does this really, really interesting thing in verse 16. As to the terror you cause, you presumptuous heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, who occupy the mountain summit, though you elevate your nest like the eagle, even from there I will bring you down. This is the Lord's declaration. You who live in the clefts of the rock. Notice where Edom is. Edom is the location of Petra. The city in the rock. You who live in the clefts of the rock, you think you're secure. No, I'm a holy God and I will come against you. Then there's the the prophecies against Damascus, verses 23 to 27. The prophecies against Kedar and Hatzor. Uh, Kedar, they were sheep herders, they were traders, they were skilled archers. Basically, and you'll notice here on this map, it's placed here. It's because they were, they were nomads. They just wandered through. They were descended from Ishmael. You can see that in Genesis 25. And Isaiah prophesied against Kedar as among all the Arabic peoples. Notice even in this map how they're placed here. Um, Hatzor. some identify it with a town in Galilee that is an excavation here um, East, northeast of the Sea of Galilee. That's not the Hotzor. I'm totally convinced. There's another one over here. And it was a group of cities that were unwalled. Uh, about Kedar and the kingdoms of Hotzor in verse 28. Which Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon's king, defeated. This is what the Lord says. Rise up, go against Kedar, and destroy. Destroy the people of the east. They will take their tents. And their flocks, along with their tent curtains and all of their equipment, everything's going to be gone from them. They will take their camels for themselves. They will call out, terror is on every side. Uh, that's in in verse 29. Look at this. They will call out to them, terror is on every side. Have we heard that before, guys? Yeah. Where? Uh, Egypt. Egypt. This is a part of a... When he gives this name, this means... You're a foe of God, and you're going to be quaking in your boots once you understand what it's all about. Uh, Babylon is God's instrument on Kedar and Hatzor. And then we get to Elam. And I'm sorry, this is kind of feeling like download, and we're going so fast. But I want you to hear this. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah, the prophet about Elam, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. Um, Zedekiah, what numbered king was he? Last, Last. And we're going to get into that here in a couple of days as we get into the very end of Jeremiah, the last of these oracles that he gives. Elam is over here, just north of the Persian Gulf. This is in modern-day Iran. Elam is part of what becomes the Persian Empire. That's a long way away. But this is important to see. Understand this as we carry on in verse 35. This is what the Lord of hosts says. I am about to shatter Elam's bow, the source of their might. They were famous archers, and the bow was the symbol of their claim to fame. I will bring the four winds against Elam. Here's these four winds from the four corners of the heavens, and I will scatter them to all these winds. There will not be a nation to which Elam's banished ones will not go. Uh, the Babylonians, as we've been seeing, as we've been walking through this, they conquer everybody else. But they never actually fully conquer Elam. They get parts of it, but not all of it. And in fact, this whole prophecy here is even that Babylon doesn't conquer them. Babylon's mentioned specifically on a number of them. But here with Elam, it's just that they're going to be defeated. And that's going to come. Hang on to this because there's this final shout of triumph in this oracle against Elam. Verse 38, I will set my throne in Elam, and I will destroy the king and officials from there. This is the Lord's declaration. Now, before we come back to the the final step step here, uh, 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 Philip Ryken did this summary of this chapter. And he says, you know, wealth did not save the Ammonites. They were not able to buy their way out of judgment. Wisdom did not save the Edomites, nor did their military might. Fame did not save the Arameans, hence in Damascus, because God is no respecter of persons. Independence did not save the Bedouins, the sheep herders, and the unwalled cities. God found them in the wilderness and destroyed them just the same. Weapons did not save the Elamites. But there's something very fascinating as we get to the end of these two chapters. In the last days, I will restore the fortunes of Elam. This is the Lord's declaration. This was partially fulfilled in 539 BC when Elam, with Susa as its capital, became the center of the Persian Empire. The Persians were starting to build their power up, and they actually joined with Babylon in that battle of Carchemish that we've already talked about. But the Medes and the Persians joined together to form this great empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. Cyrus becomes their king. And so there's a partial fulfillment, but I think there's a greater one. Kevin, would you go to Acts chapter 2, verses 7, 8, and 9? The Holy Spirit at Pentecost has been released. And they're in absolute awe. Listen to this. And they, the people there, were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites. Medes and Elamites. Those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia and all the rest. But notice, Medes and Elamites, they are actually given word that Elamites, Medes, even though this judgment from Jeremiah, the Elamites are in Jerusalem. At the day of Pentecost, they are touched by the Holy Spirit of God. This is where Jesus is here. Here comes the sign of the new covenant. i got to show you something that just hit me as we were going through and looking at Mindy's painting, the painting for Jeremiah and the broken pot, all of the destruction, all of the judgment that he brings. But in the last days, there is a restoration. There's a restoration from God that's going to be coming, and we go to 2 Corinthians, and I just saw Mindy's painting of 2 Corinthians, and the broken pot with the Holy Spirit shining out, because the Elamites are there. They're there at Pentecost. There is a restoration that's coming. Yes, there's judgment. It's broken, but God puts the pot back together, and it shines forth the Holy Spirit of God, because Yahweh is a Holy God and is over all the nations and he's going to change everything some of them most likely at that day in Jerusalem received Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in them and went back and started sharing Jesus there's a prophecy against Moab, and there's restoration. There's a prophecy against from Jeremiah against Ammon, and there's restoration. And here is the most incredible restoration that we can see. A revival, potentially? Is Jeremiah actually saying, in the new covenant, there's a revival in all of the most horrible lands? Well, there's more to come, because we're going to focus for two chapters on Babylon. The study continues tomorrow. God bless.